Welcome to the Elmer EMC podcast. We want to support you on your journey with God. So here's this week's teaching. Good morning, Elmer EMC church family and friends. Again, great to be with you. So let me read uh, the passage that we're going to be considering today and get the right page in this Bible. Here we go. Revelation 8.13, going down into chapter 9, As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke came down upon the earth, locusts came down and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill people, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold. Their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like woman's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions. And in their tails, they had power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by these plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, having heads with which they inflict injury. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot hear or see or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Wow. Imagine that. And that's exactly what John would have us do. Imagine that and ponder. Let me ask you this. Do you heed or ignore warnings? The hot weather is here. Thinking about going to the beach? You're on the way to the beach and uh, you look through the bag of, of, of things. And you got your water, you got your hat maybe, but uh-oh, where's the sunscreen? Well, there's a drugstore. Why don't we just stop in there and get some? Ah, we don't need it. We'll be okay. You know, I, I, I tan. I don't burn. I just brown. Don't think you need sunscreen? Think again. And 
For those of you planning now to attend on June 20th, please don't forget your sunscreen because you could look like this man. Not the best idea. Even the sunscreen apparently agrees. Somebody pointing, painting a, a sad face on him. I know a guy who uh, was on a trip to a resort in the tropics and didn't think he needed sunscreen in the middle of the day on the beach, and he ended up looking like a lobster. And uh, not a pleasant rest of his vacation, I'm sure. Well, do you heed warnings like this? How about storm warnings? Uh, do you do any better with that? You know, we have tornado watches when conditions are favorable for the development of the kind of thunderstorms that could produce tornadoes, but then we have the warning when a tornado has actually been reported or when the conditions are beyond ripe to produce such a thing. You know, a number of years ago, I got a call from my niece, who is a meteorologist with Environment Canada in Edmonton. And right out of the gate, not, hi, Uncle Brian, nice to talk to you. We haven't talked in a while, but where are you, Uncle Brian? I said, I'm in my living room watching a football game. I think your team, Edmonton, is even playing. It's a good game. Well, she said, get to the basement now. I said, why? You know, it's exciting. Get to the basement now. You're in a, you know, a, there's a tornado warning in your area, and you're in the likely path. Basement, now. Well, this is the little girl that when she was born, I bought her her favorite stuffy, and she still has it. But, you know, she's all that much younger than me, but boy, she knows what she's talking about in areas that I do not. So, we heeded the warning. Went to the basement with our little dog, too. And uh, you know what? Nothing happened. Not even uh, a, a, the, the slightest breeze. I, I would look out at the trees and waiting for something, and nothing. And that's good. That's good. I'm glad nothing happened. The trouble is that when warnings are given, and then nothing comes of it, people can get complacent. Now, it's, it's not that adequate and ample warnings are not given, well in advance by good people like this uh, weather person and her uh, meteorological staff who make the best projections and and you know this typical this this particular hurricane Laura as it was was still well out in the water but they were projecting that by Thursday or so it would make landfall as a cat 3 well you don't mess with cat 3s you don't even mess with uh, heavy duty tropical storms that stall out like Houston experienced a few years back. Harvey, I believe. Look, these warnings are given well in advance so that people can make preparations and evacuate if warranted, but the truth is many don't. Now, there was a, a university somewhere in California that, that did this particular uh, research project in terms of why Americans don't evacuate. And uh, it says that, uh, you know, one in five report that they and their families have had to flee uh, due to disaster. Uh, but of those who don't, 43% reported that uh, their main reason was that uh, they were concerned with damage and looting and they just wanted to be there to protect their property. Well, what are you going to do against uh, a cat three or five winds and, and a storm surge? But hey, have at it. 34% uh, tragic overconfidence. They just figured, hey, I've, I've survived this kind of thing before and I can get through it again. 34% are concerned with their uh, dogs and cats and maybe iguanas down there. I don't know, but, but there you go. They're, they're worried about them. 32% say it, it's just too costly. Uh, to, uh, to do this, and so we're going to hunker down. 14% uh, are, are disabled, and it's hard for them, and 14% lack adequate 
transportation. But, um, but this is quite telling. So many people um, don't heed the warnings or feel that they can't. And, uh, you know, even if you could plead ignorance like, like these folks on the roof, who knew? You know, the signs are all there, evacuate, get out, leave. Maybe these folks uh, can't read. I don't know what the problem is, but they're in trouble. Who knew? Well, even if you could plead ignorance, legitimately, it wouldn't do you any good, would it? So what about a warning like this? As we have already read, a warning like this, after all that now leads up to this screaming eagle, crying, woe. The first four trumpet blasts in chapter 8 have gone off, which have unleashed what I call the beginning of the end in the form of judgments that take the form of ecological disasters, of, of apocalyptic mag magnitude, which degrade every source that humanity depends upon for life and livelihood, which, like the plagues of Egypt, actually do leave open the possibility and the opportunity for mankind in general and individuals like perhaps you in particular to unharden your hearts if indeed your heart is hard. And yet these are only the warning shots, so to speak, across the bow. Woes are still to come, which are designed to target the unrepentant, the unresponsive. And, and so we have warnings of woe to the third power, which warn essentially that all hell is going to break loose. And it does in Revelation 9, in which two of the three woes are presented in full and vivid 4K resolution, or better, I don't know if there's better. Is there better, Alex? There is better. He's nodding his head. So whatever the better is, it'll be that. Although, please remember, as, as we consider these things, that, that you are not, in reading these words or hearing them, essentially reading or hearing a newspaper account in advance. But what you're looking at is rather apocalyptic writing, which is, highly symbolic and, and rooted more often than not. In fact, I would say uh, the not part isn't even part of the equation. Rooted in the Old Testament where it meant certain things that inform the meanings here. And so the question becomes, what are these bizarre images and scenes pointing to in terms of the two trumpet-signaled woes, which are unleashed before the seventh and the final trumpet sounds. Well, I'm glad you asked. So, here we are. Uh, woe to the third power. Woe, woe, woe to the earth dwellers. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a screaming eagle, as I call him, trying to be heard over the sounds of devastation that have already taken place, which maybe have gotten the attention of people under judgment that, you know, maybe if we repent, God might yet relent and, and save us. Remember the, the king and people of Nineveh who heard Jonah's preaching, heeded the warning, uh, got out of their regular clothes and into sackcloth and ashes, and the king commanded a, a fast for three days, and they, they uh, sought God, a God that they did not really know, but a God that Jonah represented, and somehow the Spirit of God reached into their hearts, uh, moving them to consider and actually repent. And God did relent. In that, on that occasion. And yet to a nation, Israel now warned in the Old Testament in Hosea with the double imagery of trumpet and eagle. You know, uh, this is written to Israel by Hosea. Put the trumpet to your lips. An eagle is over the house of the Lord because the people have broken my covenant. 
and rebelled against my law. Israel cries out to me, O God, we acknowledge you. But Israel has rejected what is good. And so an enemy will pursue him. Israel talked a good game. You know, Lord, I need you. How I need you. Every hour I need you. You're my one defense, my righteousness. Oh Lord, I need you. And that is true. And believe me, it's true now and it will be ever all the more true in these coming days of trumpet signaled woe. But Israel, although they talked a good game in their hearts, they were far from God. And, and so they've rejected and rebelled. And so their protesta- protestations notwithstanding, they're going to face the music that the trumpet and the eagle are alerting them to. And actually, in this case, the eagle may well represent the nation that is swooping down against them. Check out Deuteronomy, I think it's 34.29, for a reference to an, a nation coming against and besieging, being compared to an eagle swooping down. And so they're going to face the music and what the eagle represents. And now the same thing is happening in Revelation 8.13 and, and what follows. So there it is. Woe. Because of the sound. Woe to the third power. And, and, and so all hell is going to break loose. It is. Be warned. But only after ample warnings have been given. And ample warnings have been, even up to now. And, and certainly then when the sound and fury of the beginning of the end begins to occur, the warnings will be very clear. They've come by way of ecological, economic, uh, cosmic disasters even. And now finally, by the sound of this screaming eagle. Now, I would suggest this is probably not a literal eagle that it has given a voice. Uh, but rather, there have to be a lot of eagles all over the world. And, uh, and yet, it's reference one. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that perhaps this rather points to uh, urgent and insistent proclamation by witnesses tasked with this solemn assignment, which I'll leave Ray to tackle. I don't want to steal his thunder. Uh, pun there intended fully. Uh, I'm going to leave this to him when he tackles chapters 10 and 11, uh, which uh, will begin next time. So uh, pay attention to Ray. It's going, to be, it's going to be worth your while. But suffice it to say that with all of the tools of communication and media available now, witnesses and warning can be disseminated with the swiftness of an eagle that can get attention by its very nature or not. You know, eagles have a way of getting our attention. We see eagles all the time at uh, Pittock Conservation um, on the Pittock Dam, uh, little narrow lake, really part of the upper Thames where we have our trailer. We see them all the time, swooping in and out of a nest across the, the water from us and flying overhead. They are impressive and beautiful creatures. And every time, look, there's an eagle. Yeah, nah, it was a turkey vulture. Well, next time it'll be an eagle. And we see a lot of them. Now in Scripture, eagles indeed are a metaphor for thriving, for soaring in life, uh, as it were, at the top of the aviary food chain. I mean, think about Isaiah 40. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll rise up with wings as eagles. And if they can't fly, at least they can run and not be weary, walk and not faint. But, but there it is. But eagles can also signal woe. As in Hosea 8.1, already referenced, as he indicated with regard to rebellious Israel in his day. Of course, as in the days of Hosea, the eagle and trumpet can be ignored. But the warning is proclaimed nonetheless. So, now the warnings of woes must give way to the first woe. And now chapter 9. Fifth angel blew his trumpet. 
I saw a star falling from heaven to earth. It was given the shaft, to the, the, the key to the shaft which leads down to the abyss. And, and so only after ample warnings, an angel will open the abyss. Now, abyss comes from the Greek abusos, and it, it, it refers to a, a, a bottomless pit. A bottomless pit. And uh, that's how this is translated in some versions. Now, is this a literal, deep and bottomless pit located somewhere on earth which requires this angel to come down with a key to unlock its entrance? I mean, should we commission an expedition to search for it and find it? You know, and have a new program on uh, Nat Geo or, or one of those cool networks or Smithsonian network. Uh, that, that, would, that would draw some attention along with the UFO shows and everything else. But I suspect that it would be a waste of resources and manpower at the end of the day. Because, you know, this is language that points beyond itself and into what one author refers to as the unseen realm. It is not the less real for being unseen. It is, in fact, all the more real as this unseen realm interacts and intersects with our seen realm in which we live and move. So keep this in mind throughout the chapter. Uh, but an angel it's a, will, will come and open this abyss with a key. Now, the star falling, that's, that's what it points to, a supernatural being who is given a key with which he opens this abyss. Now, the question, is this an angel or is it a demon? Uh, many hold that it must be a demon because of the word fallen. And indeed, um, stars falling uh, do um, probably two-thirds of, two of the time when that kind of language is, is used, refer to a bad guy, a, a, a nefarious spirit uh, or angel, fallen angel, uh, even Satan himself. Now, um, many hold that this must be a demon because of that, but, but uh, the reality, too, is that a third of the time, such language appears to reference a good guy. And so, uh, but, but here's a further problem. From whom does he get or steal this key? You know, think of that. Uh, let me think. Who holds the keys to death and the realm of the dead? Oh, guess what? Jesus is the correct answer. And uh, he's always the right answer in most of the questions people ask in Sunday school or church. Uh, I try to ask a little more challenging questions, but in this case, Jesus is the answer. And, and so I'm thinking, uh, you know, I'm willing to bet that Jesus doesn't hand over this key of his to any takers uh, or allow himself to be robbed blind. Oh, where'd I put the key? Ah, a demon stole it. What am I going to do? Oh, Got to get it back. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. So I'm going with an angel, and there's another reason yet to come uh, later on. But, but now, as to this abyss, um, Second Temple Judaism, uh, particularly First Enoch, Enoch is actually quoted uh, or alluded to a number of times in the New Testament, in particular, one reference in, in the book of Jude, but that's for another day. But, but Second Temple Judaism and Enoch in, a, in particular, the book, understood this, uh, abyss to be the worst possible region of the realm of the dead, of the underworld, a.k.a. hell. Uh, Second Peter uh, refers to a place where um, the evil angels are locked up and chained in Tartarus. Got to be the abyss. Same thing. Uh, the worst possible region. Remember when Jesus drove uh, a, a whole bunch of uh, demons out of the guy uh, running naked in the tombs and the demons spoke and said we know who you are the holy one are you going to uh, send us 
to the abyss before the time. And Jesus uh, acceded to their request that they be sent into a herd of pigs. And, and so their greatest fear was that they would be locked up and unable to do what they love to do. And, uh, and there it is, a most unpleasant place to be locked up, to be bound. But now, as it is opened, the first thing to be released is this foul and sooty smoke. The shaft was opened, the smoke came out of the, the pit like the smoke from a great furnace, darkening the sun and the air. Uh, imagine the pollution index uh, at that time. And so, so there it is. And then out of that smoke, there appeared locusts on the earth. And they were given authority, like the authority of scorpions on the earth. Um, and again, um, I'm asking, do you think that these are now literal locusts, which come out of the abyss? Uh, and uh, kind of like the ones that ravaged the earth in the time of Joel. Well, uh, Joel's locust invasion may well have been a literal one that foreshadowed actual armies swooping down from the north uh, in days to come. But clearly here, it seems to me, these are no ordinary locusts. I mean, you ever seen a locust like this? And, and it's my belief that what is released from this abyss are not mere locusts, but demonic and as I say, now, uh, you know, as in Joel, the locust invasion can prefigure and point to an actual invasion of hostile armies. And certainly I'm willing to bet that the demonic hordes actually do incite such things. In fact, it's a sure thing. And, but indeed, these trumpet judgments here seem to me to place the emphasis on the spiritual forces behind such things, on the demonic. While later in the book, uh, you see the results of, in the mobilization of very real flesh and blood antipathy toward the people of God in the form of, of armies gathered for the great and last battle. But that, that's for later. That's for another day. And it says, uh, you know, so literal locusts, uh, I, I highly doubt it. Because, you know, look at them. Locusts with authority as if they were scorpions. Um, you know, uh, locusts do the locust thing. They eat crops. Scorpions uh, do the scorpion thing. And, uh, boy, if you get stung by one, I hear... Uh, it's uh, as bad or worse than the, those murder hornets that they're starting to find in North America. But, but look at them. Locusts look like horses prepared for battle. Crowns of gold on their head. Faces like human faces. Hair like women's hair. Teeth like lion's teeth. And so on. They're, they're battle ready, these guys. They got crowns, diademata, from which we get the word diadem. But, uh, you know... I mean, uh, in, in their minds only are they uh, royal beings, but, but human-like faces, and I think the, the reference to women's hair may point to the seductiveness that they bring. And, and they're fierce. I mean, they got lion's teeth. It goes on to say they got breastplates like iron breastplates. The sound of their wings was like the noise of many horse-drawn chariots charging into battle. I wonder if the sounds here are something like what Londoners heard during the Blitzkrieg in the early 40s. Although, I must say I don't buy Hal Lindsey's notion in the late great planet Earth book that's been around for 50 and more years, but but his suggestion that what John saw uh, into the future were actually hordes of attack helicopters as a prelude to thermal nuclear war, well, uh, these are human-like, but they're not human. They're demonic hordes uh, with power to harm and to torment and to torture, says. Tails with scorpion, like scorpion stings as well, Power to harm people for five months, and look who their king is. They have as their king the angel of the abyss, who in Hebrew is Abaddon, who in Greek is Apollyon, whose 
Name in English is destroyer. Destroyer. Now who, who might this be? Who is this destroyer? And how did he become the angel of the abyss? This bottomless pit. Now what I'm going to suggest to you as I shift quickly to Revelation 20 is a way of seeing the book of Revelation as it unfolds in um, not necessarily in a fully linear fashion. This happened, then this, then this, and then we get to the end. But rather, uh, there are recapitulations uh, of, of, of areas of text, chapters, looking at the same thing from a different angle. Maybe adding more information, and by the end of it, you get a, a, a full mosaic, a full uh, orbed picture of what's going on. But uh, with that said, Revelation 20, to, to, to consider a possible way of considering this, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, and in his hand he held the key to the abyss and a large chain. He grabbed hold of the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, tied him up for a thousand years, threw him into the abyss, locked and sealed it over him so that he wouldn't be able to deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years are complete. Then he must be let out for a short time. Now, without taking the time to work out all the kinks, and there are kinks in this scenario, what do we have? The Satan. The deceiver, the dragon, the destroyer. You know, we have him uh, bound and thrown into the abyss. Well, now, think of what Jesus said when he was accused of driving out demons by the power of the king of the demons, by Beelzebul, by the devil himself. And Jesus said, you know, that's crazy because if Satan is is, uh, you know, working against his own kingdom, then his kingdom can't stand. It's not going to stand anyway, but it'll fall in upon itself, and I'm, I'm going to destroy the works of the devil. But what I'm doing now is indicative that that's exactly what I'm doing. As I drive out demons by the finger and by the Spirit of God, and he went on to uh, give a, a little short parable about uh, saying no one can plunder the house of a strong man unless he first ties up, binds that strong man, and then he can plunder his house. And in freeing these ones who have been slaves to uh, Satan and his works, see what I'm doing. I'm tying up the strong man. And I'm, I'm opening up a, a new opportunity Remember those kids years ago that were taken by a psychomaniac uh, sexual predator in Cleveland. And they lived shackled half the time, most of the time in the guy's basement for I forget how many years. They were taken as children. They were released as uh, in their late teens, if not more. And, and so what happened? That strong man... Uh, his house was plundered, uh, and that was a good thing. And I think the same kind of thing is going on here. Now, the thousand-year period in this understanding, in this scenario, is the time when Christ and his people, dead and alive, actually live and reign with him from the first century to the present, after which Satan is released to wreak havoc and engage in the final assault against the people of God and the kingdom of God. And it's a pretty short war indeed. When the thousand years are complete, Satan will be released from his prison. Out he will come to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. He will summon them for battle, a throng like the sand of the sea in number. Now without going into uh, any further detail, detailed analysis, we'll do that when we get to Revelation 20. So there's your motivation to stay in the game. But is it possible that what we have in these first and second woes is what is later described from a different vantage point in Revelation 20? While there are problems with this view, as there are with every uh, viewpoint on 
end time scenarios. This language of unlocking the abyss and releasing the hordes whose king is destroyer is, is, who is driving them on certainly makes me ponder and wonder. And if you want a detailed explanation and, and uh, uh, treatment of how all this could be, I, I dare you, I dare you, I double dare you to download the Naked Bible Podcast app. That's Naked Bible Podcast app. And listen to the latest episode on Revelation 9. Now, I had already prepared this before I listened to it, but I found it uh, quite confirming in many ways. And there are so many more details, which uh, if I went into, you would uh, soon be fast asleep. But for the keeners in the, in the camp, I, I urge you to, to download this. And, uh, and there are so many episodes, it, it's just... Uh, it's, it's theology on steroids. I love it. So for those of you that like that, go for it. And, uh, but then, back to, back to Revelation 9. Out of the smoke, these locusts come along. They were told not to harm the grass or uh, plants or trees, but only those people. Get this. Underline this. Um, it's, it's, it's in purple and white here. Only those people who did not have the seal of God on their forehead. All hell's going to break loose. Demonic hordes are released with power to torment all but those whom God has sealed. Backtrack to Revelation 7 where you have that sealing taken place and factor in all that uh, scripture talks about, about when God seals us, He seals us with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee and down payment of our inheritance, our redemption at the last day. And it's a seal that guarantees our place as well as protects us from what the enemy can do. Remember what Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill the body. And that's that's it. Fear him who has the power to destroy both uh, body and soul. Meaning all that you are. All that makes you, you in hell. And so there is the Holy Spirit's protection uh, on these people with the seal. Not a literal mark on their head, but, but uh, you know, if you want to see it that way, see it that way. But, but I understand this seal to refer to uh, what I've just said, but they are protected while all others in this short period referenced as five months, which is the typical lifespan of a locust, interestingly enough. They're tormented to the point of wanting to die, but they're unable. They're not even allowed to die. Uh, you know, uh, it says they got the power to torture them five months. It was it was like being stung by a scorpion, and in those days people will look for death and they won't find it. They will long to die and death will run away from them. Now, what kind of torment are we talking about here? Physical torment? Like getting stung all over your body? And, uh, you know, no, no relief, no, uh, nothing you can pick up at PharmaSave to, uh, you know, ease the pain? Uh, I suspect that since this is a demonic torment, in essence, then I wonder how many know that emotional and psychological torment and torture can indeed be far worse than physical. And it can lead to suicidal ideation. You've got hallucinations and nightmares, voices in your head. On the one hand, condemning you, telling you you're worthless and a piece of junk, and yet at the same time urging you to do unspeakable things. Such, I suspect, is the kind of torment. We're familiar with that on one level, but what about when it takes this uh, apocalyptic form? I saw a documentary, I think it was last week, Focusing on the mental and emotional anguish suffered by some of the most highly successful people that you could ever think of. Prince Harry, Lady Gaga, Oprah, and others. Uh, it, it was on 
Was it Apple TV or Prime or one of those? And uh, it was heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. You know, we think these people, they got it all. They're, they're, they're successful. They don't really ever give a thought to much but making money and uh, drawing the crowds and getting all the ad- adulation, the torment that Lady Gaga described in her life and Oprah. It's heartbreaking. And they are dealing with their demons, so to speak. But when this hell breaks loose, it'll be far worse and far more difficult to break free from and come into the light. And, and uh, this is crazy. There it is. And it's almost like the demonic hordes say, well, okay, so we can't do what we want to do against those sealed ones. Cursed be them in the name of their God. Fine. We'll torment whoever we can torment. It's just like the embodiments of evil, the torment, those who are evil themselves. And, uh, you know, evil has no breaks. It it respects no boundaries. Evil and evildoers and evil beings deceive and rob and torment and, and even withhold death. So the torment can continue. And, of course, death would not end the torment of those not having the seal of God. That doubles, triples, quadruples the sadness. Well, the first woe is come and gone. The next two are on the way. And uh, so, what happens next? The sixth angel blew his trumpet, and he hears a voice from from the horns of the golden altar addressing him, Release the four angels, the ones who were tied up by the great river, the Euphrates. And this time the angel that blows his trumpet has a a further instruction. Um, Release these angels tied up. Why the Euphrates? What is the significance of the Euphrates? On a purely literal literal level, it's the river uh, that runs um, right right through uh, Babylon, Ur was right beside it, where Abraham comes from. Abraham the Iraqi, who became the father of of the the Israelites, and in fact the father of many nations, as God promised him. But Babylon, uh, that's where the Euphrates is, is, and Babylon becomes, in Revelation, and throughout Scripture, the symbol of rebellion and oppression of God's people, a symbol of pride, a symbol of uh, we will make our own way. We will build a ziggurat whose top reaches the heavens. And God at Babel confuses their language, divides the nations. That Part of the judgment on the nations was that uh, while God would raise up Israel, the sons of God who rebelled, Angelic beings were given dominion over these places. And uh, that's, a, that's a whole other story. But Babylon becomes this symbol of rebellion and oppression of God's people who were exiled there. And in Revelation 18, we'll see the final end of all that Babylon represents. But for now, as the sixth angel heeds this voice, uh, these four angels are released. Uh, prepared for this day, hour, month, and year so that they would kill a third of the human race. Four powerful angels, or are they in this case demons, released to then release a number, another numberless horde. The number of the troops and horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number. Now what's going on here? Um, first, Let's take a a slight time out, long enough to look at the Old Testament background. So, um, Ezekiel 9. Now the glory of of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the threshold of the house, the, the temple. The Lord called to the man clothed in linen who had the writing case at his side and said, Go through the city through Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in the temple, which would soon be destroyed. Solomon's temple. Ezekiel is writing from exile, and he sees this vision of desecration and defilement in the temple. And and so 
to the others, he said in my hearing, pass through the city after him and kill. Cut down uh, all, but touch no one who has the mark and begin at my sanctuary. And they did. They went and killed in the city. Angels directed to kill those who had defiled the temple in ways that caused God's glory to depart. And with the glory gone and without God's mark, all that remained was death for many and exile in Babylon for many more. Babylon where the Euphrates is. Now now back to Revelation 9. Release these four angels. The ones tied up. And, and so... Again, four powerful angels released who themselves release a numberless horde. Really, that that number really implies numberlessness. You can't count them. 10,000 times 10,000 doubled and and something like that. I'm I'm not the one to talk about uh, when it comes to math. But all hell is going to break loose. The angel will open the abyss, releasing demonic hordes whose king is destroyer with power to torment all but those God has sealed, after which an even more fearsome demonic horde is released with orders to kill or at least to incite killing. Now, are these troops on horseback, human or demonic? Some have viewed this in the past as a 200 million man army uh, originating in China. Now, I'm, I'm going to put the emphasis on the demonic because you look at them and uh, they had breastplates made of fire and heads like lions, the same kind of language that applied to uh, the, the prior locusts. Fire, smoke, and brimstone came out of their mouths. Now, whether or not uh, human warriors are recruited as part of this horde, I, I, I believe that they actually are. It's quite likely indeed. Uh, But the description here, I think, points more to demonic beings engaged in all-out war as their king, Abaddon, destroyer, deceives the nations, gathering them for the last great battle, which of course um, is going to be very, very short indeed, uh, and which of course necessitates human military engagement on a supermassive scale. Again, the emphasis here seems to be on the evil spiritual forces behind and back of all this. But look at it. One-third of the human race was killed by these plagues, by the fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their, their mouths and so on. I mean, the death toll is astronomic. It's not total. Surely, surely, the combined severity of the ecological and economic and cosmic, earth-shattering plagues of the first four trumpets. Now, along with the demonic woes unleashed by the fifth and sixth trumpets, would have some influence on bringing the rest of mankind to their knees, pleading for the mercy of the one and only true God to rescue them as they turn from their wicked ways. Such a pity they did not read Jonah as they considered these things. But oh no, oh no, that's not how it plays out. All the other people, the ones who had not been killed in these plagues, did not repent. Did not repent. What do you make of this? Is it a case of, well, better the devil you know than than to turn to one that, you know, has unleashed all this stuff, so can we really trust him? And again... Has the deception of the Satan, the deceiver, succeeded in deluding these ones into thinking that maybe, you know, the whole thing is a made-up and trumped-up hoax. You know, the death toll couldn't be. It isn't what the mainstream media are claiming. And nor are these plagues anything more than natural occurrences that have been, you know, blown way out of proportion. Could that be? Some of the thinking that drives non-repentance. I mean, who knows what kind of conspiratorial nonsense people will believe that will have its source in the very abyss from which the destroyer and his hordes emerged. In Second Thessalonians 2, I believe, it talks about people being deluded so as to believe the lies when it comes to the approaching day of the Lord the at-hand day of the Lord. 
And, and, and we see this here. It's got to be believing the lies. And, and it's kind of like the revisionist history being written in real time in the, what is it, four and a half months since the January 6th insurrection in Washington, which was witnessed on live TV, resulting in the deaths and maiming of numerous police officers and is resulting in serious charges being laid on the perpetrators. But oh, no, 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 no. It wasn't that bad at all. It was just a typical tourist day. These were fine, upstanding people. We didn't feel under any threat. Some of the ones that are saying this are seen in, in, in still shots and video putting barricades up. But, you know, we got to retell the story. Because the way it is, is just too difficult to deal with. And you know, that's the power of a lie. And the power of the lies that will sadly cause many to worship the beast and reject their only hope of salvation will be all the more powerful and deceptive. All the other people did not repent. May this never be said of you. May this never be true of you. All hell is going to break loose, which it does, and still, no, repentance, hearts that have been self-hardened, which are then allowed to set hard by God, are hard-pressed to repent. Anything but repent, and repent only if it's on my terms. And why repent when you can explain it all away? Sad as these chapters have been, there is yet hope. There's always hope because witness will be given. And then with the seventh trumpet, the kingdom, the kingdom. But don't even think of waiting until this last trumpet sounds. Issuing in all that 2 Thessalonians 1 describes in graphic detail. When that trumpet blows, it'll be eternally too late. The abyss was designed and it was intended for the devil and his angels. But Jesus' warning about fearing the one who has the power not only to kill the body, but to destroy the soul, all that makes you, you, in hell, must be heeded. It must be heeded. Please be of those who, in the end, stand before him justified and blood-washed, white robes purified because the travail of his soul's been satisfied and thus the second death has been denied. Oh, do you believe? Do you believe? Are you of that number who have been sealed by God? If so, stand firm. And in these days and in the coming days, abound in the work of the Lord. Join in the witness that could snatch some out of the fire. Do this for Christ's sake and for theirs. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We invite you to follow Jesus with us and join us on mission with him. We'd love for you to connect with us through our website, worship at aemc.com, or on Facebook. Just search for Aylmer EMC.